You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, well, good morning and welcome to City Church. My name is Hunter Levine and I'm the college pastor here and we're glad that you decided to join us and to make us a part of your Sunday. If you're new, we hope this becomes a regular part of your life and that this church would become a home for you. As the college pastor, I get a front row seat in what the Lord is doing through our staff and college student leaders and students who call this church home. And I'm just so incredibly encouraged, one, by their faithfulness on our college campuses, but also I'm so encouraged that we're a part of a church that loves students so well. So thank you guys so much for that. I'm not here to give a report on the college ministry, although I would love to do that. Uh, But I'm here to finish up the final week in our series, Fish Out the Water. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn with me to Hebrews 11. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, Go ahead and turn there, Hebrews 11. Now, when Pastor Dean asked me to speak on this, he really wanted me to round out this series because I'm somewhat of an expert of taking fish out of the water. Uh, I love to fish. My father's a charter fisherman, so his business is to take people to fish. I'm involved in podcasting and media in the outdoor world. Um, And for as long as I can remember, fishing has been an important part of my life and my family. We're we're dedicated to it. We like understanding uh, why certain things are happening in the ecosystem. I'm going to give you guys some science this morning because I think it will be really important. I think it will be really helpful for this to really stick with you long term. And I... I don't want to get too into the weeds because I know it's not everybody's thing, but scientifically speaking, fish live in the water, right? So a fish out of the water is not very comfortable, and that's not its home. Now, the reason I say that, and we laugh and it's simple, is because we know that a fish is supposed to be in the water, but yet often in our life, we struggle with our focus on where are we supposed to be? What's our true home? And in our passage that we're going to be looking at this, this morning, Hebrews 11, we're going to see that as people of faith, who have faith in Jesus Christ, but this is the story of the people of faith throughout all the scriptures, we await and we long a different home. Our faith leads us to living differently, and it, le- it leads us to longing differently as well. So look with me. Uh, here to Hebrews 11. This is a beautifully written book. There's all sorts of encouragement and beautiful language. We don't know who the author is of Hebrews, but we know that the people, that the intended audience at the original time were people who were struggling to, to kind of live in this world, struggling often with discouragement, persecution, struggling with hurt and pain and hardships. And this book is filled with all these rich Old Testament references. I mean, there's 37 quotes, 40 illusions. There's all sorts of summarizations. He's really making a beautiful argument about the cohesiveness of all of God's Word, including the Old Testament. And there's a couple major divisions in the book of Hebrews, but what we're going to be looking at today is a turn towards what it looks like for us to live in light of who Christ is. The book of Hebrews teaches us that Christ is the high priest, that yes, there were Old Testament priests who made sacrifices on the behalf of God's people, but Christ was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. And in light of that, we should have faithfulness and endurance while we await him again. And the author uh, gives us a lot of examples of faith. We're going to see that this morning. But he also does uh, something to kind of drive a point home where he uses repetition of this phrase that we see throughout this passage, by faith, by faith, by faith. Let's look at it together. It opens up like this, Hebrews 11, now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, 
the proof of what is not seen. For by this our ancestors were approved. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. Now this sounds nice. This almost sounds like one of those verses that somebody would crochet if they had a lot of time and put it up in their home. You know, faith is, is what's the unseen, or you got to have faith, or something pretty to hang on our wall. But what we're going to see in this, this passage is that this author is pointing us to something a little bit more deep than that, something rooted a little bit more in God's words. So this is the first thing I want us to see so we can understand what is this faith, what is this, this idea that the author is giving us. The first one is that our faith informs our hope. It's important for us to understand our faith informs our hope. Now, a lot of times when we think about the word faith, we think about the decorations that are often sold at Hobby Lobby. You guys have probably been there at some point. And you look around the room and there's paintings of, with the word faith and there's wood carvings with the word faith and there's a lot of faithy things going on there. Um, if you're younger, maybe you're not into decorating, but if you look around a lot of Instagram bios, there's a lot of the phrase faith in there. It's almost like the decoration of your social life is your Instagram bio. And the world today loves the idea of faith, but for many of us, here's the danger. Faith is a spiritual word that's not biblically grounded. It's not biblically informed what we mean by that. And so we have to allow God's word, allow his words to us in the scriptures to shape our thoughts and to define our terms. And this is what the author is going to teach us today, that faith is not mindless or wishful thinking, like a child hoping it doesn't rain at their birthday. It's not without merit or evidence. It's not in opposition to science or logic. It's not childish or whimsical. Our Christian faith has, and the author uses these words, reality and proof. In the ESV, it uses the word assurance. Now, that seems kind of interesting to think of this idea of faith and to also think of this idea of assurance or proof or reality, right? Isn't faith what's we're not sure of? Is it faith and assurance? Aren't those things against each other? Well, the author of Hebrews 11 is going to help us understand how those things fit together, and it doesn't stem from us. The confidence, the assurance, the proof, the evidence of our faith doesn't come from our actions, our minds, our reason, but it comes from the object of our faith, the thing in which our faith is placed in, and that is Christ himself. I was looking for a definition to share with you this morning, and I looked at some different commentaries and actually came across this in my ESV study Bible, one of the many reasons it's great to have a study Bible, and it gives this definition I wanted to share with you. Faith is a settled confidence. I love that word, settled confidence. It's not just a, an eager new faith that has confidence because it's not had the test of time. This is a settled confidence that something in the future Something that is not seen but has been promised to God will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. As our passage puts it, there's a reality of what is hoped for. There's a, a proof of what is not seen. The reality because God has given us his word. This God has spoken. He has a track. And a hope because our hope is not that it will just work out that way, but our hope is in Christ Jesus. Our hope's not in our works. It's not in the ability to fix things in the present or the past, our, 
our hope and our faith is in God's promises. And this is how it's worked all throughout the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there was a hope looking towards Christ that God would deliver his people, that he would bring them salvation looking towards the coming of Christ for us in the New Testament and beyond time, we're looking back to Christ. A hope that that's true, that it's real, that we can find some solidity in that. Now, raise your hand real quick if you're into Netflix crime documentaries. There's been like a really big raise. Anybody kind of find themselves watching those things too, people? You guys are liars. Like a billion streams. People are watching them somewhere. These Netflix crime series are always structured the same way. It doesn't matter what the the crime is. And what they do is they present an episode to you and you think, this guy did it. And then they present the next episode and you go, well, hold on, maybe he didn't. And then you do this for about six to eight episodes until you're left with a kind of watered-down conclusion on what the truth is. But throughout it, what's happening is we're experiencing, as we watch these things, a, a case be developed. Evidence is brought forth. People have things to point through, and what we're seeing in the scriptures is this God is building his case. The same God that spoke the universe into existence from nothing, as our passage notes, he's showing us his glory and his majesty and his goodness. The same God that we're going to see remind us in this passage that led God's people through the Red Sea and delivered them from Egypt, the same God that resurrected Christ from the grave. He's built his case. We have a reason to trust God. There's evidence, there's proof, there's a history, and that faith informs our hope. And it's not a hope that the world has, it's a hope that is found in Christ. Look at some examples we're given from Scripture. I'm going to go through these quickly, but I encourage you to study them on your own with this in mind. By faith, Abel offered to a God a better sacrifice than Cain, and by faith, he was approved as a righteous man, just like you and I. When we have faith in Christ, we are called righteous, not because of our actions, but because of our faith. Because God approved his gifts, and even though he is dead, he still speaks through his faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not experience death. He was not to be found because God took him away. For before he was taken away, he was approved as one who pleased God. Now without faith, it is impossible to please God, since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out, even though he did not know where he was going. And by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of the promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she was considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. He's giving us this this biblical theology, this laying out of God's story 
I love reading with my four-year-old. We, we've been reading through the Bible, and we use some different tools like the Jesus Storybook Bible. And we're reading through these stories, and it just kind of gives an overview of what God has done and how all those things are pulled together and tied together. This is what the author of Hebrews is doing. They would, this audience would know these stories well. And then he says this in verse 13. I want us to see this. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that they were promised. But they saw them from a distance, and they greeted them, and they confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have the opportunity to return, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Kind of pulls these stories together. What's the theme? What's the common thread? What are we seeing here? The second thing I want us to, to write down this morning is this, our faith informs us of our true home our true home. These figures lived and died in faith. Not as perfect examples, but certainly as examples that we can learn from. Some people call this chapter the hall of faith, but they didn't live in faith the way that many people think of it today, or at least didn't always turn out the way that many people would think of it today. The faith that they had was not the faith that the, they could change the culture and make the world necessarily a better place, although that was certainly desired, earthly harmony, it wasn't a faith of their improved situation that was focused on themselves. Although certainly they wanted to have health, they wanted to see prosperity, they wanted to see those things, but that's not the faith that they're talking about. They're talking about a faith that longed for a better city. What God's prepared for them, what the scriptures teach us in Revelation 21, a new heavens, a new earth. They're placing their faith in Christ, the Messiah. This led them to see themselves as strangers in exiles on earth. Paul would say in Philippians 3.20, a verse that Pastor Dean talked about earlier in the series, it would cause them to see their citizenship in heaven, that the current situation that they were in is not the final part of their life. And something else that I want us to think about as we think about this passage together is this, that this is not our home, but yet at the same time we're not alone. We're in this together. There's a community of people who live this way. They're not that comfortable, but they are united. And they have God's presence now. And it's also important for us to see that they weren't too heavenly-minded for earthly use. No, they were not perfect, but they blessed people. They served people. They loved people. And here's the beautiful thing. When we are free of an earthly hope that's just rooted in tomorrow having more money, more security, more health, more happiness than today, when we're freed from an earthly hope and we switch to a heavenly hope, we're able to love and serve and bless others so much more because it's not all about the bank statement tomorrow and it's not all about our comfort today. It's about honoring and glorifying the God who's prepared something better for us anyway. I didn't get that job, that's okay, it's not my home. I lost a loved one, lost a child, lost a friend. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. When we're free of earthly hope, we're, we're able to better serve and bless others. And then he continues and points us to the example of Abraham in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. More about that in a minute. The one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, and he worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden by his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. For he considered the reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. That's a sermon right there. Since he was looking ahead to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger, for Moses preserved as one who sees him who is invisible. By faith, he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites. By faith, they crossed the Red Sea, and though they were on dry land, when the Egyptians attempted this, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after being marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab, a prostitute, welcomed in the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. These beautiful, beautiful examples. And look at how he begins to sum it up here for us in verse 32. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms and administered justice and obtained promises and shut the mouths of lions, quenching and raging a fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign enemies to flight. Women received their dead, raised to life again. That's the type of faith our world often focuses on, but there's two sides to this coin. And there's more to the story than even that. Look what he says next. Other people were tortured, not accepted, released, so that they may gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mocking and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and on the mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. And look at verse 39 and 40 as he pulls all this together. All of these were approved through their faith. Shutting the mouth of lions, hiding in caves, leading people through the wilderness or being cut in half. All of these were approved by faith. This wasn't their home, whether it went well or not. But they did not receive what's promised since God has provided something better for us. Better than everything listed above. Better than nations, riches, health, prosperity, comfort, family, all the things mentioned. God has provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. Here's the third thing I want us to see is that our faith leads to our prize. Us seeing what is the, what is the prize? 
Like what does the end of the race look like? The truth is we often claim to be people of faith, but we're often more focused on earthly prizes rather than thinking about the ultimate prize that is knowing Christ Jesus. The other problem is that in our good times and in our bad times, we're often convinced that hope, joy, security will be around the corner. We're just so close to it. And the reality is that nothing can satisfy the longing in our hearts the way that only our Creator can. But earthly prizes can distract us. They can take our mind off of that. They can tell us if you just had a little bit more, if you just wait a little longer, if you just work a little harder, if you just catch a good break, then you'll be happy and satisfied. I use this illustration a lot with our college students, but I was on a fly fishing trip once to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and we didn't go to the river one day, and we we decided to kind of walk around the town and and look at all the, the shops, and I was probably in middle school, maybe early high school at this time, And we decided rather than doing go-karts, which is a young boy's dream who doesn't have a driver's license, we decided we were going to do this new ride that they had built called the Jurassic Jungle Boat Ride. And I saw the Jurassic Jungle Boat Ride, and there was a huge dinosaur, robo-dinosaur outside, and they had all this cool kind of features on the outside. So we went up there, and we realized the ticket to ride was $15 at the time. And so we decided, you know, we're going to do this. So we get in, I remember getting in the cart, and we were brought into the first room, and there were some robots, nothing too crazy, a lot of smoke. Apparently, there's a lot of smoke back then around the ground. And I remember thinking, this is going to be good. Like, this is just a staging room, kind of set the story. What's going on? A professor and a time warp, and okay, all right, I'm in. And then we went around the corner, and I was kind of bummed. It was like more small robots, more painting on the wall, more smoke, of course. And I thought, well, okay, well, this is probably going to be maybe that, you know, we're going to go up and get shot backwards or, you know, do a twisty or something like that. And we went around the next room and you guessed it, more robots and more smoke. I had a real fire concern about this place, by the way. And again and again and again, and I remember as a young boy just pulling up to the end of the ride and thinking to myself, is that it? Did I just blow $15 on the Jurassic Jungle Boat Ride? This is pre, like, smartphones and, you know, TripAdvisor and all that. I would have destroyed them. And I remember just thinking, man, I just kept thinking it was going to get better. Here, here's the reason I share that with you. That's how often we live our life. We take good things and we prize them over Christ. So what happens is we say, well, if I just can get to college and just get away from my parents, have a little bit of air to breathe, be my own person, I'll be happy. If I could just get through the the initial course load, if I could just graduate, if I could get the internship that I want in the city I want, I think I'll finally feel some closure here. If I could just meet the guy or girl that that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with that's really good, that looks like all the people in the movies and TV, then I'll be happy. Well, if I could just get a promotion out of the job to have a little bit more money, we could have a little more breathing room, we could do some more, we could go out to eat more, then I'd be happy. Well, then we could just have a few kids, kids running around the house, I'll be happy. If these kids would just grow up a little bit, amen, I have two little ones, then I would be happy. If these kids would just get out the house, we could be empty nesters, we could get to know each other again. We could be a little more selfish, spend a little more time on us. Man, if, if we could just retire, 
get a beach house somewhere, man, I'll be happy. What we don't realize is that we're putting hope around the corner every single time. Oh, we're so close. It's right around the corner. Here's what the, the author of Hebrews is teaching us. Not to put hope around the corner in our life, but to put hope in what we have in Christ in the end. This is not our home. What Paul would say is, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm pressing on towards the prize, not of earthly prosperity, but of knowing Christ Jesus. As the author of Hebrews would put, because all of the riches in Egypt have no comparison to knowing God. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. Our ultimate hope, this people of faith, what are, we, what are we putting our faith in? What are we hoping for? Our ultimate hope is not earthly prosperity. Our hope is eternal security. It's that we have residency in that place, that we're longing to be with God in his new city, his new creation, a greater city, a greater homeland. And we can have confidence in that because that hope was secured for us on the cross. When Jesus stood in our place and he took on our punishment and he gave us his righteousness, something theologians often call the great exchange so that we could have that hope. And that he resurrected three days later, proving to us that that hope was rooted in an assurance with him, with the evidence of his resurrection Even the cross of Christ is mirrored in one of the stories I mentioned before, Abraham and Isaac. God promised Abraham that through his descendants, he would have a nation. It would be numerous. And so God called Abraham to take his one and only son, phrase used often referring to Christ in the New Testament, to take him up a mountain to present him as a sacrifice. And Abraham didn't know what was truly going to happen. Am I going to take my son? Is he, is he going to die? Am I going to get another son? Is God going to resurrect? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is God's called me to do this in the story. So I'm going to take him up the mountain and have faith. And as Abraham and his son have the world's most awkward father-son hiking trip, he prepares the altar God sends a sacrifice in the bush in his place. And him and his son sacrifice a ram. And it points us to the ultimate sacrifice in our place, Christ Jesus. A sacrifice that gives us hope, but not a blind hope. Not a whimsical, childlike hope. But a hope that's rooted in who God is. The same God who spoke the universe into existence who has led his people all through the Old Testament, the same God who resurrected Christ from the grave is telling us that we can have assurance in our faith. He's building a case for himself. And the question is gonna be as we look at this, what's the verdict gonna be? Are we going to place our faith in Jesus Christ or are we going to just say hope is right around the corner? A couple things I want to leave you on to think about. What does this look like for us in our church today? How do we live this out? What does our story require? Four things. First, confidence. We can have a confidence. Not a cockiness, but a confidence. 
Not a confidence that's rooted in ourself and our ability to fix things and figure things out, but a confidence that's rooted in what we've seen to be true in the scripture, who God has revealed himself to be. I can have confidence in him and his word and his promise. That's what it means to greet that promise from afar. To say, I see it. I believe it. I know I'll experience it. It'll be fully realized one day, but for now, it's okay just to greet from afar. Second thing would be distinction. Distinction. It says that it was clearly known that these people were seeking a different homeland. I think if most of us are honest with ourselves, our homeland in heaven is probably not quite so clear because we get so caught up in the things today. We should have a distinction about us. This is not our home. We're a fish out of the water. We're not comfortable here. This isn't enough for us. We have something better in Christ. Third thing is endurance. Endurance. These people in these stories went through terrible, tragic things. I even think of Moses. We've been reading through the Old Testament with my family. I think about Moses who went on a wilderness hiking adventure for 40 years with a lot of kids, okay? I can barely do a seven-hour road trip with Busy Bee. (laughs) Took some endurance. I want to be like Moses. Do you really? (laughs) But the beautiful thing is when we have our homeland, our citizenship in heaven, we can have endurance to push through the challenges and struggles we experience today. And the last thing is we can have a joy. Now don't confuse this with happiness that's linked to earthly prosperity. We can have a joy in Christ, a joy set before us because we can see, we can greet it from afar. You know, these characters going through all these challenging things, it reminds me of a time where I decided to run a 10K and maybe some of you guys like to pay money to run. <laughs> it's free, but you like to do it. And I ran this 10K, and I was thinking to myself, in the flesh, this was a long time ago, people, at least I'll get a cool photo out of it, you know, because there's these people around, like, taking photos and everything. And then I completed the 10K, you know, got the pancake breakfast, and uh, they, like, sent the, the photos out to everybody after, and I look absolutely miserable in every single photo. I mean, just face red, tears, sweat coming from my eyes, you know, kind of hunched over. It was, it was honestly a miserable experience. And I take those photos, I put them up on my mantle as a reminder not to do that again. <laughs> right? But here's the thing. This is very obvious that life is challenging and we live in a world filled with sin. And it requires endurance but it's not endurance without joy. I love that about Moses. He left Egypt because all the treasures in Egypt, all the comfort, all the notoriety he would receive, not in comparison. He had something better for him. The joy of knowing Christ is better than the pain we experience today. And the author of Hebrews wants to set these examples out to us to remind us of the significance of the faith in our life. We're not just a fish out of the water because we do something different on Sunday mornings. We're not just a fish out of the water because we've memorized some Bible verses. We're fishes out of water because we believe that we have a different homeland, that we're just pilgrims passing through. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for the opportunity to gather together today as your church to sing your truths, to study your word. 
to participate in community, to take the Lord's Supper. Father, we're grateful for this. We pray that as we think about the words that you've given us in Hebrews 11, that you would help us to be a faithful people, a people who love you and long for something better than what this world has. I'm grateful for our opportunity as a church to come together to worship you. And Father, I pray that you would continue to move and work through the lives of our people in this church. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.